So, um, we're in James, and we've been walking through the book of James, and we're in James chapter 2, verses 14 through uh, 26. And uh, here's the text. James chapter 2, 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, And it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I titled my message today, Faith Works. Works spelled W-E-R-K-S. There is actually a company um, by that name, Faith Works, and it produces family-friendly media. Um, But there's another company, there's several companies that have works in their name, W-E-R-K-S. One is Works Racing. Uh, There's another Auto Works, uh, all those kind of things. And they manufacture high-end race car engines and fuel fuel and accessories and all that kind of stuff, parts that will just make a car really go fast and uh, be high performance. So the primary purpose of, of works is to manufacture anything that helps a car, a race car, get great performance. So the question for us this morning is this. Does your faith get great performance? Does your faith work? W-E-R-K-S. James is speaking to people here, Jews, who have been saved, but they have become convinced that performance isn't all that important to the Christian faith. They are... um, they kind of think in terms of owning a high-performance car that it's really nice to have one in the garage to look at. And once in a while to get in, sit in it, and maybe turn it on and listen to it idle. But they never back it out of the garage. They never take it for a spin. They never do anything with that high-performance car. And James says... That won't cut it. 
James says we have to take that high-performance car and back it out, and we have to take it out, and we have to experiment. We have to find out what it can do. Our faith should be like that. Our faith is not to sit in a garage and idle. Our faith is to take, be taken out for a spin and to be put into practice. So this text that we are looking at today, James talks to, talks to us about three different kinds of faith. He talks about a dead faith. He talks about a demonic faith. And then he talks about a dynamic faith, the faith that he's encouraging each one of us to have. Now, a beautiful race car is really not much of a race car if it has no power in the motor. And there's a lot of Christians who live their lives, they're beautiful, <laughs> but there's no power in the engine. There's nothing moving them out. There's no performance happening. Faith is not faith until it does something. Faith needs to be exercised. You look at Hebrews chapter 11, and you go down through all of those verses, and it's one of the longer chapters in Hebrews, and it goes down through all of those, all of those people, those heroes of the faith. Not one of them is recognized for just simple believing. Every single one of the heroes of faith were recognized. They became heroes of faith because they did something with their faith. They didn't just believe. They did something with their belief. For some of them, um, for all of them, it resulted in risk, taking some risk, taking some action that resulted in risk. And for some of them, it ended very well. For others, it didn't end so well. Towards the end of Hebrews 11, they took some risks, they exercised their faith, and, and the end results didn't look so good. But all of them performed, their faith performed something. They did something with their faith. So faith is more than just acknowledging, agreeing to something. Faith is more than just a feeling. Faith is confidence that what God says is true so much so that you will live according to it and let it become expressed in your life. James asked the question, what good is faith if it has no deeds? And he answers the question and he says it's useless. It is a dead faith. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, I believe, I I." I you know, I raised my hand. I went to the altar. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does my will of my Father who is in heaven. Again, James, you can find almost everything in the book of James in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Um, and Jesus says that there. In dead faith, what happens to us is words become substitutes for deeds. A lot of people, a lot of pastors, have a great Christian vocabulary. They know a lot of Bible. They know a lot of Bible stories. They know Christian doctrine and what is true and what is not true. What is orthodox and what is not orthodox. They can quote Bible verses. 
but they don't lift a finger to help or make a difference for Jesus in the lives of people in any practical way for the people around them. So James gives this illustration. He says, what if a, you, know, you have a Christian brother or sister who is needing clothes or food? And you say to them, hey, come over here. I see you need clothes and food. I'm just going to bless you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to you know, quote some scriptures for you. And I'm going to send you on your way. James says, what good did you do? <laughs> James says, you should have taken them to Bakken Oil Rush Ministry. You should have given them some, some groceries. You should have done something. 1 John chapter 3 says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, when you look at that, one of the things that we need to recognize here is that salvation is more than fire insurance. And a lot of people, especially, you know, those that really grew up in the church and all of that, they came to Christ to avoid hell. <laughs> and they came, to, they came to Christ just to avoid fire insurance, and that's really all they wanted. And James says, that's a dead faith. If all you have is a Christianity that avoids hell, you don't have life. Because notice what he says in this passage. Salvation is not about fire insurance. It's about the love of God coming into our hearts so that it impacts the way we live and treat other people. Salvation is not about just avoiding hell. Salvation is about God's presence entering into us so that his presence can flow out through our actions and minister to the lives of the people around us. Compassion is love in action. It is more than just words expressed. So can a dead faith save? And James says, no. And then James moves from talking about a dead faith, and he talks about a demonic faith. That's interesting. You, you know, We don't very often stop to think what James says here, that demons have faith. <laughs> They know the truth. They are very knowledgeable. They have faith. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You find that in Mark chapter 3 and Mark chapter 5. Um, the, demons are not atheists. They're smarter than that. Demons are not agnostic. They're even smarter than that. Yet, they are doomed. They are going to hell. They believe in God, and they're still going to hell. They believe in Jesus, and they tremble and shudder. In other words, it's not just a mind game with them. They know something, but they feel something too. They are so convinced of what they believe, they have an experience, and they, they, are, you know, they tremble because of what they know. 
Again, demons recognize Jesus to be the Son of God. A dead man, or a man with a dead faith, has been touched up here in his head. He agrees to something. Demons go a step further and they agree to something and they feel something. (laughs) They shudder and they tremble, but to be knowledgeable and to have an experience is not salvation. To be knowledgeable about the Christian faith and to have an experience, and there's lots of people out there, man, they know all the truth, and they can put on a show like they've got the greatest experience in the world. But that does not mean they have been saved. That does not mean they know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Demons have knowledge and an experience. And they're not saved. There has to be a changed life that goes along with this salvation that Jesus brings to us. So if that's true for demons... James would argue, why would it be logical for you and I as Christians to believe that we can simply believe and never put our faith into practice on a daily basis? And he says it's not logical. It's not a right way to think. We then are really no better than demons if we have agreed that we believe all of this stuff We have an experience, but then our lives don't change. We're no better off than the demons are, James says. And that's not Adrian Timmons. That's that's the Bible saying that. We're no better off than the demons. And the demons will not inherit the kingdom. So why should you and I think that we can just believe, have an experience, and not, and not ever have the gospel change our life. And James says, no, we can't. <laughs> the gospel has to change our life. You cannot showcase a faith without some fruit, without some deeds. You can announce it, but you can't show it. James wants us to show our faith by our deeds. Paul claims this is the very reason why God created you and why he created me. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So first of all, he's very, very clear that no amount of deeds and good works will ever save you. <laughs> if you're trying to do good things to get saved and and to win some points with God, you give it up because there is nothing you would ever do that will be good enough to earn your salvation. It is by grace, through faith, in what Jesus did on the cross, and that is the only hope you ever have of salvation. But then he goes on to say that if we have invited that grace into our life, if we have allowed Jesus to, to come into our heart by faith, if we have believed in him, then that salvation is eventually going to come out of our life. And it's going to produce some fruit. It's going to produce some deeds in our life. Notice this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, there is a mouthful there. 
<laughs> Every one of you, you just need to know this. Some of you don't think very well about yourselves. And I want you to see the word that God uses here about you. He says you are his handiwork. You're not junk. God didn't make any junk. You are God's handiwork. Handiwork is something you're proud of. Handiwork is something you take delight in. God sees you and he takes delight in you and he's proud of you. You have been created. You're not just an accident out there in the world. You've been created by Christ, by the God of this world, to do something. Not just to be, but to do good works. And then it says, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God just didn't think up yesterday of something for you to do today. He thought of that (laughs) thousands of years ago. (laughs) Way back there before creation. God had a plan for you, a work for you, a purpose uh, for each one of you. We cannot work our way to salvation, but salvation definitely results in works that reveal the glory of Christ. So there is a dead faith that is useless. There is a demonic faith that is bogus. And then then there is a dynamic faith that, that James talks about. And that is the kind of faith that you and I need. And he talks about two people here that are really quite different from each other. And he he uses both of them from the Old Testament. And he says, these two people are great examples of a dynamic faith. They believed, and then they acted on their faith. Abraham believed in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. And it says it was credited to him as righteousness. You know, I I just remember Abraham when he was over there. You know, in Urichaldes, and God says, leave everything. (laughs) Everything you've ever known. And take off for a place that I'm going to show you. I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. Just just follow me. Uh, That's faith. That's faith. Um, And and then God tells him, you know, he has no children. God tells him, well, you're going to have descendants like the sand on the seashore. And Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. But you know what? His works didn't come at that point. His works came in Genesis chapter 22, where his faith was tested. And it tells us, you know, God tells him to sacrifice his only son, who was the only hope he had of seeing, you know, God's promise to him. And Abraham gets ready to do that, and and God stops him just as he's doing it because God sees that Abraham trusts him and believes him so much that he is willing to do anything to obey God. (laughs) Willing to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. His faith was completed by what he did. And Abraham was considered righteous because he did with what he did something with his faith. Not just because he had faith, but because he did something with it. Abraham did not have a dead faith. It wasn't just up here, and it wasn't just here. His faith, a dynamic faith, touches the head, 
It touches the experience, the emotions, and it touches our will, our, our chooser. And so we choose to obey God. Now notice this. Abraham, here, here he is. He's a Jew. He's a patriarch of the, of the Jews. He is a godly man. He is a man who is known as a friend of God. Um, he had faith to leave everything and to head out to Canaan. He had faith to obey God's will. And then James introduces us to Rahab. She is not Abraham. <laughs> Rahab is nearly Abraham's opposite. First of all, she's a woman. She's not Jewish. She's Gentile. She's not a godly man. She is a sinful woman who is a prostitute. And she didn't live among the Israelites. She, didn't, she wasn't a Jew. She was living among God's enemies, the Canaanites. <laughs> but like Abraham, the one thing she had going for her is that she believed the report she'd heard about the God of Israel. Now this woman knows almost nothing. She hasn't been raised she doesn't know about Genesis. She doesn't know um, all of the Jewish lifestyle. She doesn't know anything. All she knows is that she has seen reports of what the God of Israel did for the Israelites. And that's about all she knows. And she stakes her, her life on her faith in that God turns her back on all the gods of the Canaanites, turns her back on all her countrymen, and believes with, without any other knowledge, believes in this God of the Israelites, and says, I am going to protect these Israelite spies if it costs me my life. <laughs> I will be better off doing that. She put her faith to the test. There was deeds with it. She hid those spies, and then she helped them to escape and get away. I, I want you to see that it would have been very natural for Rahab to have a dead faith. It would have been very natural for Rahab to even have a dynamic faith, or a, a demonic faith, but Rahab chose to have a dynamic faith that touched her will. Again, she wasn't schooled in the faith. Her knowledge was very at the beginner level. She obeyed what she knew to do. She was mile ahead of me. I know a lot. <laughs> but I don't always put it into practice. She knew one thing. And she went into action doing with that one thing she knew. And I want to say to you today, if, if you're here and you don't know a lot, that's okay. <laughs> God is more concerned that you put into practice what you do know than that you become a big head in the Christian faith. God just has never been too impressed with big heads. I mean, the people Jesus had the most problem with in the New Testament in the Gospels, is people running around with religious big heads filled with all kinds of knowledge who didn't practice their faith. That was scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. They had big heads. 
And yet we in the church tend to promote those people, and we, we think that's really important. No, what's really important is that we act on the faith that we have. We act on the little bit of knowledge we have. That's what's important to God. Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. The sheep had works of treating the least of these like Christ. And I was amazed. I read this just uh, last week, I think, in my devotions. I was reading this story, uh, uh, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And, and what struck me there was that Jesus used the least of these. You know, there's people I'm willing to help. But it's not always the least of these. <laughs> I just want the mediocre people up here somewhere. But not the very least of these. And Jesus said, these sheep, what's noticeable about them is that they cared about the least of these as though they were Christ. And Jesus um, says, now the sheep, when he had separated the sheep from the goats, he said, you sheep, you took care of me when I needed it, when I was hungry, when, when this and that and something else. You were the ones that cared for me. And they said, well, when did we care for you? And they said, uh, when you helped that person that was in prison or needed food or this and that, that's when you cared for me. And the sheep were sent into eternal reward. And then the goats come, and, and um, it's not so good for them because they had big heads. <laughs> and they used those heads to ram each other. <laughs> But they never ministered to the people around them. And they said to Jesus, well, when did we see you and ignore you? And Jesus said, when you ignored the least of these, you ignored me. And he sent them off to eternal punishment. Some Christians are like high-performance cars that sit in a garage and get looked at and sometimes they idle. One of the things I, I like about Joe Comer back there is, um, though I don't own any motorcycles, he does. And he doesn't just leave them sit in the garage to look at. He actually takes them out on road trips. And every now and then I get to hear about a road trip Joe took. <laughs> and he takes them out and exercises them and that same thing is what you and I need to do with our faith. We need to make sure that our faith isn't just idling. That it's not just sitting in a garage, but that the garage door pops open and we take it out and we take it for a spin and we meet the needs of people around us and treat them like Jesus would. So my question is this week, where is God calling you to put your faith to the test? And where do you need to express your faith in a practical deed? Let's be high-performance Christians. Faith works.